So I wonder, have you ever felt concerned? Typically after Christmas, uh, my family and I head to Florida to spend some time in the sun, but this Christmas, due to an unforeseen set of circumstances, we had to cancel our trip. And so we went to to Michigan, where my family lives, and spent some time with them. And while we were there, my brothers and I cooked up this idea. So we we took our boys and loaded them in my brother's 12-passenger van, and we drove to to the motherland, to to Buffalo, New York, and uh, we took the boys to a Bills game. And it, it it was a great experience. However... At the opening kickoff, the New England Patriots received the ball and ran it all the way back for a touchdown on the first play of the game, and I was concerned. (laughs) I, I thought, if I drove all the way here for this to be an annihilation, I mean, come on, this is America's team, right? What color is the American flag? Red, white, and blue. What color are the bills? Red, white, and blue. I was, I was concerned. But they won. And it was okay. As we begin 2024, I also have con- some concerns. Not, 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 not like hopeless type concerns. I, you know, I, I think there is, there is reason to be Expectant and, and joyful, and I believe in a peace that, that passes all understanding. But I, I've got some concerns. Some of my concerns are moral in nature. There are there are things in our world that I feel press against the biblical worldview. It makes me uncomfortable. Makes me nervous. I have economic concerns as I watch inflation and the ups and downs of my own retirement investments, I, I feel concerned. I have political concerns, particularly as we enter into an election year. And I think the best way I can, can frame my concern is uh, making a reference to a film that debuted in 1984. The name of the film was Gremlins. Remember Gremlins? Maybe I'm dating myself, but, but if, if you don't, Never seen the movie Gremlins. Um, some of you weren't even born in 1984, but, but for those of you that remember Gremlins, the storyline is basically this. A young boy gets a, a creature like a pet. The name of this creature is called a mogwai. I think that's how you pronounce it. And so this is what it looks like. This, this right here. This one. No, not me. I, there we go. Okay, so that's, that's Gizmo. And the, the young boy that receives this, this creature in the, in the film is, so there's two really important rules. First rule is don't get it wet. Because if you get it wet, it breaks out and boils and creates more of these creatures and you just don't want that. The second rule, which is maybe even more important, is don't feed it after midnight. Because if you feed it after midnight, it turns from this to this, into a gremlin, or just this horrible creature. So what does that have to do with the coming year? I have relationships with some that are the most soft-spoken, kindest people you will ever meet. But you feed them politics and something 
happens. Something transforms and changes, and it's not good, and I, I feel concerned. But my biggest concern is neither moral, nor economic, nor political. My biggest concern stems from an observation that I've made. My biggest concern in this next year is followers of Christ claiming to live a life of faith but ignoring the words of Jesus. That's my biggest biggest concern. See, this year, like every year, our attention will be consumed with something. Some of us will allow our attention to be consumed with 24-hour network news. Others of us will allow our attention to be consumed with sports. Some of us will be consumed by what it is that we do not have. Others of us will be consumed with the direction of our world or our country. And others of us will be consumed with fear. To which I say... Whatever it is that consumes our attention will affect our heart and inform our faith. So if that's true, should I not then be consumed with the words of Jesus? Over the next six weeks, we are going to do just that. We're going to spend time in the actual words of Jesus. Many Bibles have the words of Christ in red ink. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and a small portion of Revelation have the words of Christ. And so now, as we move out of Christmas, which officially ends today, whether you know it or not, the, the, the Christian calendar, in the Christian calendar, Christmas isn't a day. Christmas is a celebration. There's 12 days in the Christmas season. Maybe you've sung the 12 days of Christmas. That's where that, that comes from. Once you move out of, of, Christmas, we now enter into a season known as Epiphany. And Epiphany is the celebration of several things. First, it's the remembrance of the wise men or the magi uh, coming to pay homage to Jesus. And that happened two years after his birth. So so for those of us that display uh, manger scenes, nativity scenes in our home, like if you put the wise men next to Christ, that's theologically wrong. You messed it up. That's Because he wasn't there at Jesus' birth. He came two years later. So this is what you need to do. This is what I'm going to do. I put the nativity scene in my living room, but the wise men, they go like in the bedroom because they're like two years away. And that's if you scale it, that feels about two years. So just for next year, put the wise men in a different room. We also, during the season of Epiphany, we celebrate the baptism and the ministry of Christ uh, on earth. Matthew in his gospel records Jesus as he begins his ministry. We read in, in Matthew chapter four seventeen, Jesus has this central message. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Two words that two words that quantify Jesus' full message. Repent, turn direction, change direction. You were walking in one way, walk a different way, walk towards Christ, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is near. This this new way of living and being. I'm ushering in something new. So there's this central message. And then Jesus, verse 19, we read is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They're casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. And he said, Jesus said, come follow me. 
So the, the central message of Jesus is repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the core invitation of Jesus is, is come follow me. Come live in my way. Now we use words like, I've, phrases like I've accepted Christ into my heart. Or I've, that's essentially what Jesus is saying. Come, come not only acknowledge me, but follow me in my way, which can be at times counterintuitive to human nature. Some of the things Jesus asks us to be and do. I heard a pastor of a pastor just this last week that gave a message, a sermon in his church, and he used the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, as his, his text. And after he was finished with his sermon, someone walked up to him and said, I can't believe you spoke those words in your sermon. And he said, I literally quoted the words of Jesus from the Bible. And the man said to him, yeah, but that doesn't work anymore. It's weak. It's time to fight. And in that moment, there was a movement that happened. A movement that happened away from the Christian faith and to something else. But it wasn't the way of Christ. I mean, Jesus isn't simply asking us to think highly of him or like him or honor him. Jesus is asking us to follow him. In the scriptures, that way becomes clear. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As I read these words, I become keenly aware that it would seem that God blesses before he demands. When we read the scripture, we cannot read the scripture one-dimensionally. The scripture is meant to be unfolded. There is so much life. that The Bible describes itself as alive and active, not static. There is color and vibrancy and nuance to the scriptures. So you, a one-dimensional reading does not do justice to the scripture. I think the call of the scripture itself is to, to unfold it, to unfold the depth and the life and the way it pops, the way scripture impacts my life in meaningful and profound ways. So I come to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' sermon, and, and Jesus begins with these, these blessings, which, which would not have been uncommon because in Jesus' day, rabbis and teachers would, would, would bless people. 
the, the word beatitude comes from the Latin to mean blessed or fortunate or, or flourishing. But Jesus' definition and way of blessing is different than I often interpret blessing. Because when I, when I think about blessing, I think of things going in my favor. So I'm sitting in the Starbucks drive-thru and the person in front of me pays for my coffee and I'm on social media like hashtag blessed. I, but that's not what, what Jesus is talking about. See, what, what Jesus is talking about is, is blessing is not situational. You are blessed simply because my presence is with you. Even when you're in mourning, you're blessed because my presence is with you. So, so these words, these beatitudes, they're not strivings. They're states of being. They're conditions of the heart. When Jesus gave this sermon, the people that heard it were barely scraping by. Many lived in dire poverty. There was oppression from the Roman Empire, particularly in the form of heavy taxation. And so Jesus is speaking to these people who were were physically poor and despondent and, and mourning. And with these surprising words, Jesus reverses the perception and says to them, no, 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 you're, you're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the needy and the powerless. Blessed are those who are spiritually at the end of themselves, who are completely dependent on God. Blessed are those who say, I just can't seem to do this anymore. As I read those words, I'm reminded, my mind drifts to another story Jesus told. In your Bible, it's probably called the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know it. If you don't, I'll summarize. A young man comes to his father and says to his father, I'd like you to give me my share of the inheritance. Which, if you understand the way inheritance has worked, particularly in the times of Jesus, an inheritance was never given to a child until the father was dead. And so the son was basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, at the very least, I want you to give me what you owe me. Give me my inheritance. So the father, in a surprising act, does it. Gives his child his share of the inheritance. The scriptures say that the son then leaves and goes to a distant country and spends his time in wild living, which is most likely a reference to gambling and prostitution. He just goes and gambles his money away and gives it to prostitutes till he's broke. He's got nothing left. He's so broke, in fact, that in order to somehow scrape by, he goes and works for a pig farmer which for a Jew would have been unthinkable. Pigs were unclean. Jews do not eat pork, feed pork. They don't do anything with pigs. But this young guy is so desperate and despondent, he goes, and his job is to feed the pigs. And the scriptures say that he is so hungry that he longs to fill his stomach with the garbage that the pigs are eating. But then there's this moment in which he comes to his senses And he says, my father's servants have it better than me. I'll go back to him and I'll say, father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he makes his way home and he's rehearsing this speech he's going to give his father because he's not like he's not truly sorry for what he did i mean read between the lines he's he's hungry and he's desperate he already left and spent all his money and so he's going to his father he's probably pulling off at rest stops and rehearsing in the mirror i'm no longer worthy to be called your son 
The scriptures say that while he's a long way off, his father sees him and he runs to him. He pulls up the hem of his robe, which would have been undignified for an older man to do in Jewish society, and runs to his son. And before the son can even speak a word, he throws his arms around him. Brings him a new robe, puts the signet ring on his finger, which would have been like giving him access to the family credit card. It's in that moment that those words, blessed are the poor in spirit, come to life. Blessed are those that are at the end of themselves and are completely dependent on the mercy of God who willingly chooses to wrap his arms around us. Blessed are those who mourn. Yesterday I took my son to the funeral of a friend of his. Very unfortunate day and it's very sad. Lots of tears and mourning and I realized as I'm thinking about the words of today's sermon that in that moment God was there. Blessed are those that mourn for you will be comforted. God meets us in the midst of our mourning. Blessed are the meek. Meek is an odd word. Most people would not describe themselves that way. When I'm introduced, the last thing I want someone to say is, I want you to introduce to my friend Mike. He's meek. It's just, to me, almost has the connotation of, of weakness. And yet, when I follow Jesus, I do not aggressively insist on my own rights, but I display genuine humility and I have a controlled desire to see the interests of others advanced ahead of my own. I mean, that's what it means to be meek, which is fairly counterintuitive because what do I do? What do you do when you don't get your way? Oh, I don't get my way a lot and my reaction is not always meek. But there's something about letting go of this obsession of getting what I want, letting go of this obsession of carrying around a fence at at everything, being meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been really thirsty? I mean, for those of you that go to the gym, you ever gone to the gym and you forgot your water bottle and you were so thirsty, oh, so thirsty? Or maybe to expand the the illustration a bit, that that, that first cup of coffee in the morning, some of you that are addicts, like, like, well, like me, I guess, that, that just you crave that, that first cup of coffee in the morning. I was, I was on a, a red-eye flight that went through the night, uh, and there was a guy in front of me, and as the sun came up, the flight attendant came down the aisle with, with coffee, and the guy in front of me, who was clearly from, like, New York or New Jersey or something, she said to him, she said, sir, would you like a cup of coffee? And he goes, ma'am, right now I'd sell my mother for a cup of coffee. <laughs> Like, wow, you really want some coffee. Like, there's desperation in that, right? Blessed are those who have a desire to see the righteousness, the rightness of God happen in the world. Those that, that hunger and thirst for those things that are wrong to be made right. Blessed are the merciful. 
those that are generous and forgiving and compassionate, who, whose normal impulse is mercy. Not just moments of mercy, but your, your natural inclination is towards, is towards mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those whose mind is solely devoted to God and those who have a deep desire to see God's will happen above their own. Those that are pure in heart understand the prayer that Jesus prayed shortly before he was crucified in which he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who choose to intentionally insert themselves into tense situations with the purpose of bringing reconciliation. I've heard it said that when you walk into a room, most of us are like the weather. Like when we walk into a room, the, the atmosphere changes. When I walk into a room, is the atmosphere bright and sunny or is it more like a hurricane? Oh, because our presence matters. So I read these words of Jesus. They're not my words. And they, cons- they, they consume my, my mind, what consumes your attention, affects your heart, and informs your faith. I realize that blessing is a state of being not something that happens because I find good fortune. I'm blessed when Christ is with me. And most of these things that Jesus talks about are not welcome in the world at large. And then Jesus has the audacity to continue by saying, and blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when people insult you. When was the last time you were insulted and what did you do? Was it hashtag blessed? I got insulted today. Or was it something else? When people insult you, rejoice and be glad. Don't be aggressive and offended. Living these words is some of the hardest Things that we'll ever do. Jesus says, this is how my kingdom works. He then goes on to describe how we live it. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It can no longer be good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Then in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we have these common metaphors of salt and light. In Jesus' day, the primary use for salt was a preservative to keep meat from rotting. You are the salt of the earth. You are the preservation of the kingdom of God on this earth. But salt also, salt also gives food flavor. No, nobody likes bland food. I certainly don't like bland food. Years ago, my family did this family reunion of sorts, and all the families came together, and each evening, one 
family unit was in charge of making dinner. And so one of my family members who will go unnamed, it was their turn to make dinner, and they decided to make tacos. Now listen, I know tacos, okay? My wife is Mexican. I know good tacos. What my unnamed family made was not tacos. It was the most bland, nasty thing. I couldn't, I couldn't even eat them all. It was like offensive. They were so bland. I fear one of, I fear one of the great sins of the Christian church is that we've done a really good job at making God bland. You're the light of the world. Light illuminates. Light changes perspective. Have you ever had a hard night and someone says to you, oh, it'll look better in the morning. It'll feel better in the morning. Because light has the ability to, to change perspective. And so I hear these words of Christ, be salt and be light, and I wrestle deeply with what that even means. What does it mean to be salt and light? How do I live it out? There are so many opinions as to what this actually means. Well, I think we begin to understand this by, by hearing the words of Jesus himself. He goes on to say that they may see your good deeds. So salt and light has something to do with good deeds. That they may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father in heaven. So salt and light begins by, by doing and being good in the world. Oh, and that can look like so many different things. Doing good may mean something as simple as coming alongside an individual who is in grief and being a loving presence and doing it in Jesus' name. Or, or maybe, maybe doing good is recognizing there are a lot of people in our world who live in dire poverty and we have the potential to do something about it. I mean, Northbrook partners with the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. Many of you support children through international needs and Compassion International. I think that's salt and light. Or, or maybe, maybe doing good is to offer forgiveness to that individual you know you need to forgive. Allow it to be a moment of reconciliation and do it in Jesus' name. Oh, but let's take it one step further. Let's, let's talk about one of the many hot-button issues of our day when we consider things like, like abortion. Now, now listen, I am... Again, for the sake of, I am unapologetically pro-life. However, I don't believe that doing good is simply holding signs and telling people how bad they are. Oh, it's so much more than that. Doing good means coming alongside those that find themselves in impossible situations and being Christ's hands and feet during the whole process. That's why Northbrook partners with Crisis Pregnancy Center in Milwaukee. See, as I read the words of Scripture, when I hear the words of Jesus, oh, there's a calling. There's a rich, holy calling to be something that is often counterintuitive and presses against my human nature. So this week, my challenge is to you to read the red letters of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with red letters in it, we've got some in the bookstore. We're selling them at cost. Get one and just read just read just the red letters. 
and allow the words of Christ to illuminate and transform. Because you're blessed. Because God is with you. Oh God, I I recognize as I stand here today that I myself need to hear your words of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. There are moments and times I have not lived the words of scripture that I have failed in my humanness. And yet you're with me. Your presence is with me in the good and the not so good. And for that I'm grateful. Would you help us as people of faith to live not by our own opinions or some regurgitated information we heard on the internet, but may we open the Bible for ourselves and hear the words of the Savior. I'm grateful, oh God. I'm grateful. Amen. Amen.